What's up, everybody? It's your boy, Dr. Devin Walker, and I'm here with Javier Wallace, and we are Black with Blue Passports. This podcast explores the impact that international travel has on Black Americans' pursuit of liberty and racial justice. This podcast is sponsored by DDCE Global at the University of Texas at Austin, with support from the World Walker Foundation and Black Austin Tours. All right, welcome back to another episode with Black with Blue Passports. I'm super excited about our guest here today, Amina King. Now, Amina identifies as a Black female solo queer traveler, which is hitting so many identity markers that when we think about you know, an American expat, when we're thinking about American traveler, we don't typically think of you, right? So can you just tell me a little bit about how you developed the courage and the motivation uh, to get abroad? You've been abroad for what, the last year? Yeah, I have. I left, I left the United States September of 2020. Um, and honestly, my journey started with me listening to my intuition. Um, after so many things happening, you know, everyone was battling with COVID, like the pandemic and everything like that. I think that I just kind of woke up one day and this voice started popping up of the saying to get out, get out, get out, get out. And I was just like, okay, where do I go? What do I do? And I start first trying to go to Thailand because that's where I studied abroad. And just throughout my that whole process, I just realized and solidified that that voice was telling me to get out the United States. It wasn't about going back to Thailand. So ever since that, I just kind of um, I just kind of had to realize that at its core that mm, that <laughs> I had to follow it out. I had to get out. I had to I had to go and see what else this world had to offer. Okay. So let's, let's, let's go back to Thailand. So, you know, and from my experience working with a lot of black first year students, um, not a lot of them are even introduced or even aware of the idea that studying abroad is something for them. You know, when I typically ask black first year students about, you know, their thoughts on study abroad, they're like, I thought that was for white folks. Right. So how did you even get the idea? Like, yo, I want to go study abroad around the world in Thailand. So that's funny because honestly, what you profiled is like, I thought that was for white folks. That was literally me. I thought that it wasn't accessible to me. I thought that I couldn't afford it. I thought that I couldn't afford to not work for whatever amount of time. I couldn't leave my family. I didn't have a passport. All those things were going through my head. Um, and actually, I still credit my advisor. I was at the time, I was working grave shift. I was doing two like intensive summer summer classes. and during that time, I was going to see my, um, like your student academic counselor. And I was going to see her almost every couple of weeks just because I was on such intensive classes. She was like, okay, I need to check it on you because this is a lot. And I remember she kind of like said it to me as like, kind of like she, um, she encouraged it almost like a vacation. She's like, I mean, I feel like you need a break. You need to like, you know, do something else. You're working so hard. You're doing all these things. And I'm like, well, man, because I have to, like, I have to get this degree. And so for me, it just kind of like started as like a small spark of like, oh, maybe this is possible. I was looking on the side of USAC. I'm like, oh, okay, maybe this is possible. And then it kind of turned into, I'm like, no, nah, like I can do this. Like, why not do this? Like, why not see more of the world? And the process for me to go was definitely difficult. It was, 
one of the most difficult things I did in my life, but I'm so, so, so what, glad. What I was did. difficult about it? What do you mean? Uh, so, I mean, <clears throat> since I was in college, I worked anywhere from one to three jobs. So that meant that aside from I already full-time being a full-time student and working, finding time to apply for scholarships, apply for grants, um, see about my financial aid package. That meant um, working extra hours to like supplement because my money was already going to my lively stuff. So it's like, okay, if I'm making extra, like I need to, that goes to that. And just, I mean, the mental turmoil of it, just trying to, you know, when you don't, you're not sleeping, you don't have much time to do what you need to do. It's just like, I mean, I was exhausted. I was sleep deprived. I was writing scholarship essays. I was like planning grants, all these things. Um, it was a lot. <laughs> and so, so it sounds like, you know, economically you had to kind of hustle and, and get some funds to make this trip happen. So when you told your parents like, yo, I'm trying to go on this trip to Thailand, it's going to be mad expensive. What vibe did you get from them? So my mom, the funny thing, I tell this story a lot. My mom didn't believe me. So when I first told, I think when I first decided, I was like, okay, I'm going to try to make this happen. It was like maybe about December of 2018. I told my mom around the end of December, beginning of January. I'm like, mom, I'm going to study abroad. I'm going to do this. She's like, oh, that's, that's nice, honey. Like blah, blah, blah. And I thought she was like, you know, she was like with it. And then I think about, and through this time I was telling her, maybe like, like, oh, I just got this or I'm applying for this scholarship. I'm applying for this. Or, I'm doing this. She's like, oh yeah, that's cool. And I think around like April, maybe March, March. April, yeah. Like middle of April. I was like, mom, I just bought my flight. She was like, what? She was, I was like, mom, I just bought my flight to go to Thailand. She's like, bought your flight to Thailand? What are you talking about? I'm like, mom, I've been telling you for months I'm going to study abroad. So it was so funny. She's like, Mina, I, this is on me. I, I feel like I realized that what you weren't my daughter, but I realized that, that you are my daughter for a second because I don't know why I thought you weren't. I didn't think you were going to actually do it. And I'm like, mom, you know me by now. If I put my mind to something, I'm doing it. And she was like, you're right. And so, yeah. I love I love what you just said there, because that's something I'm always trying to encourage the young folks. There's so many barriers there's so many obstacles to traveling abroad, especially if you're a first gen college student economically, um, just, you know, becoming aware, even knowing people. But I tell them, like, look, if you set your mind on this and you focus on this, you'll start to see the opportunities. You'll start to see how you can make it happen rather than focusing on the barriers and why you can't make it happen. Um, so obviously economics is is a huge one for most of us. Um, but I know there's also these narratives out there around, you know, racism abroad and microaggressions that we might experience abroad. And, you know, when I was reading up on your story, I, I saw that you also faced some challenging situations abroad from, you know, some microaggressions, but to some also to some more blatant, you know, racial aggressions and even someone that seemed like attempting to rob you in Colombia um, so my question is, is not so much about those experiences in themselves, but how do you stay strong and not let those experiences deter you as a solo black female queer traveler? I think for me, what sticks out the most is just an overall view. Of, if I think of all those different experiences that you touched on. I think what I hold on to is like the experience that I'm having. Like, I feel like the experience that I'm having at any given point 
during this journey outweighs those small, like they're not, and I don't want to belittle them. I don't want to make them small because they are big. They do have impact, but the growth that I experienced, the, the, just the moments of feeling like the feeling of like, I'm moving more and more closer to my most authentic self. I'm moving more Mm. closer to what it means for me to be black, what it means for me to be queer, what it means, all those intersectional identities that I hold. This journey has helped me astronomically in that in that path. So I, I think for me, I just like I'm like, you know, bad stuff stuff sometimes happens, but the good always outweighs the bad, I think, for me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I hold on to in those moments. So what 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 does it mean for you to be a black, queer, female, American? expat what does that mean what does that look like that means a lot of things it means a balancing of because in the united states i think i'll be considered quite marginalized and i think for me i think what comes up the most right now is balancing my privilege and marginalization because i think in some places that sometimes and i'm glad i'm in spaces like this where i'm reminded of this when i'm in ecuador something like this despite my marginalized identity in the states in a many in many ways just having an american passport just having a u.s like being brought up in the u.s that comes with privilege in these countries i'm not bringing um you know just my identities. i'm bringing a u.s passport that gives me visa free entry to places i'm bringing a u.s dollar which is mm-hmm. more has more um, weight than other places. So it's kind of balancing and validating my own experience of, you know, when the microaggressions happening and things like that and having community to help me hold that, but also holding myself accountable to realize that, you know, there's certain privileges I hold that allows me to be in this space and navigating the way I am. Because as much as I try to immerse into culture and be around local people when I go abroad, I still will never know exactly what it means to be a person from Ecuador living in Ecuador, a person from Colombia living in Colombia. And I think that is, that's a big part of what it means for me as well. Yeah, because at the end of the day, right, you're, you not only do you have the American passport, the American dollar, you're an American citizen, right? And that mm-hmm. definitely comes with privilege, as you stated. If something goes down, you know that citizenship is going to provide you with access, provide you with opportunities. Um, And I think it's such an interesting phenomenon, right? Like how global white supremacy oppresses us in America as black Mm -hmm. Americans. But then that same system, when we go internationally, somehow seems to privilege us to an extent, not exclusively, (laughs) but to an extent. So, so how did you, how have you navigated that? And when you first came to start to realize this unearned privilege about, you know, being a, a black American abroad, how did you negotiate that? Because in the States, you know, we're, we're, you know, it's racist, we're oppressed. And that's, you know, that's more salient in terms of our understanding of self. So how did you mm-hmm. grapple with this idea of like, oh, I'm actually kind of privileged. I think at first it was difficult because I think I wanted to create it to be this and or thing It's like, well, no, I'm not this because I'm this like mm-hmm. I can't be privileged because I can't even walk down the street in the States like like my cut. You know what I mean? All these different things like. But I had to realize that there's a duality. There's it can be and it doesn't have to be or I am 
um, marginalized. I am oppressed in the United States and I carry this privilege when I go abroad with this passport. What I'm gathering from you here and saying is it's not necessarily an easy thing to navigate and negotiate. And I don't know, I'll speak from my own experience and maybe you can just kind of respond as you see fit. You know, well, one, two things for me. One, I'm super light-skinned, right? So I realized that there's a color privilege both in this country, but outside of this country. So my experience as a Black American traveling abroad is oftentimes different from a darker-skinned Black American. But also realizing, you know, when I went abroad first, I was thinking like the interconnectedness of Black folks across the globe. And, you know, I, I felt super connected and then I also had to come to terms with while, while I am connected to these Black folks internationally, there's also a level of privilege that I have to be aware of and acknowledge because their situation in their country, right, is a lot different than me being Black in their country. I might have certain access in, to certain resources in their country that they don't have access because they're Black in their country. And for me, when I'm in their country, I'm American. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that was not always an easy thing to negotiate. Have you had some experiences like that? Yeah, that brought up so many things. I think one, it brings up the whole idea, the whole idea of I feel like when you're abroad <clears throat> in the U.S., I'm black first. I'm African-American. But when you're abroad, I think that American piece comes out first. When I've walked down the streets in some parts of Colombia, things like that. Um, there's times where people don't really bat an eye towards me because I look like some of the Afro-Colombians there. Mm-hmm. Um, but once I open my mouth, even though my Spanish isn't, isn't, isn't horrible, but once I open my mouth, it's like you are, you're from America. And that comes with a certain level of privilege being told by my friends, like, Oh, if you ever get pulled over since you're American, you just slide the police officer $20 and nothing happens. That's not even a That's not even a thing in the U.S. Like you're terrified every time you get pulled over. Also with my interactions with, um, I made a point, especially when I was in Peru to connect with um, Afro um, people, connect with friends that were Afro-Peruvian and they taught me a lot about their culture and their lives and everything like that. And I found it so rich that because I felt it, I felt as an African-American person, I don't really know really where my roots are from in my family. So to have them be able to have such a connection to their roots, such a connection to their culture and that being so infused into their everyday life, I found that so beautiful. And so I think there's many, so many layers to it. And I think that, but it also has offered me so much opportunity to learn and to grow and to see how I want to, that to navigate in my life moving forward. Yo, I'm glad you brought that up, right? Because, you know, oftentimes we think about privilege and we think about it purely on like economic terms and, and resource terms. But what about like identity, right? And what you're just highlighting is, you know, some of these Afro-Peruvians have a stronger sense of self while they might not have, you know, the financial benefits that we have here in America or the, the um, you know, the the way in which we live here, the standard of living there's a certain sense of privilege. Well, I don't know privilege, but maybe, uh, you know, confidence and understanding of self when you have mm-hmm. a stronger connection and know your, your, your history. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a beautiful thing. And I think it, it, it's an important way in which we got, we, we should reconceptualize what does privilege actually look like? Cause it's not mm-hmm. just economic, right? I think identity is extremely important. Um, so I want to go back to something we talked about a, a few minutes ago. When I was in South Africa as an undergrad, um, I got robbed too. And I was very mindful about 
the way in which I told that story. Um, especially because obviously it was another person of color, not obviously, but it was another person of color. And there's such narratives around like violence abroad, and especially in, you know, countries of color or countries in the Southern hemisphere that I didn't want to um, contribute to that narrative, right? Although my experience, I did get robbed. So how, how do you navigate that? You know, in terms of highlighting some of the racial microaggressions you've experienced, um, but also, you know, when, you know, when you, you got a gun put on you, but how do you, you know, what responsibility do you have in the ways in which you tell those stories as so that you don't um, frame certain communities in certain countries through a deficit oriented narrative? Um, that's very valid. <clears throat> I think for me, number one, I think context. Um, in my specific situation, I was in Colombia and I was in Cali, Colombia, and I was during a time where they're having national protests. And this was a time that was like, there was food shortages, there was no gas in the city. It was, it was a very difficult time. People were protesting day in and day out and I was stuck in the house. So this is like the first time I left the middle of the day it was like 1 p.m. in the afternoon. So I think context of like, this wasn't just a regular day in Medellin, Colombia. This was like Cali, Colombia, which was the epicenter of these protests. And people were going hungry and people already were going hungry. So people were very desperate. So um, I think that's a big part. And I think secondly, for me, it's like, I don't think, I think it's dispelling this idea just because this happened, it means this. I think we live in a world where it's like, oh, well, this happened. So this means this It's like, the duality like this can happen and this could still like I still tell people to this day Cali Columbia is one of the like on this like leg of traveling or this leg of like my life abroad it's a fav my favorite place I've been since I've been mm. abroad which one of the most traumatic things happened to me at the same breath so those two things I can hold both of those things that duality I think is an important piece of like you will have most likely negative experiences when you go abroad it's possible whether it's small or little whether it's like you lose your wallet or whatever but that doesn't take away from the beauty and the in the just the richness that you will gain from that experience at the same time all right so let's dig into to some of that beauty and some of that richness so first i'm interested what has it been like to find community as, as a as a black female queer woman right what what does that look like abroad um, so I think it's, it's, I think each place I go, it's different. I think when I go some places, I think sometimes I have to choose between wanting to connect to the queer community and wanting to connect to the Afro community. And I think there's some rare chances where I connected to the black queer community in some places where I'm just like, wow, like this is dope. Like that's when I, where, where was that at? That was in Peru. Actually, I connected a friend of mine connected me to some of the, um, activists that are out there that were also queer that were that were there's queer people trans people they're all afro-peruvian and they're doing a lot of great work and i was able to connect to them they invited one of them invited me to their house i was able to learn how to play the cajon and learn about their history it was beautiful um so i think for me i mean the simple answer is like i think i've met other black queer i've met other queer people i think mostly from like cafes or honestly like dating webs like tinder and stuff like that just like oh hey like meeting other people um and outside of that just kind of like as i meet people getting more connections which connects me to the next person which connects me to the next person so i think that building community is 
very enriching, but it also can be difficult, which I want to highlight on this journey, because if you are moving around, if you're not having found your forever space yet, like when you're leaving places, you don't want to say goodbye to people yeah. and you have to kind of restart that process each new place you go, which can be difficult, which is something I've faced or I am currently facing, too. Yeah, certainly. You, it's like the relationships you build are so rich and beautiful and you can spend two, three days traveling with somebody, learning all about them. And then it's like, oh, they're gone. They're on to the next city or, oh, you're going to the next city. And it's like, maybe you keep in touch and maybe not. But somehow I've had similar experiences too. It, it allowed me to just really appreciate the moment and, and the beauty of that relationship for that particular day or a few days. And, you know, understanding that, you know, people come into your life for various reasons, for various moments, for various times, and just appreciating that rather than trying to make the relationship more than what it is or hold on to this thing, right? And just accepting the beauty that was that particular moment. Um, so I also want to ask you, um, what did you learn? You know, you talked about going to Peru and, and getting connected with uh, Black queer activists and trans activists. What did you learn about your own experience or, or the, your own struggle here in America by learning more about their history and, and things that they're navigating? How did it inform, you know, your own understanding of social justice? Um, I think that's, a, that's, I think number one, what we talked about earlier about privilege, because I, I was able to see through the lens of them, like, you know, I'm in this country, I'm like, wow, it's beautiful. And seeing that the same country I'm seeing for me is the same country that has, you know, discriminated, oppressed and done so many horrible things to them was a big thing. I think also, if I'm being completely honest, I think sometimes it made me a little bit discouraged because I'm like, is there anywhere in the world that's that's free of this? Is there anywhere in the world that like, Black people can just be, that Black people can just, like, it, it, and I think that's something I've been toying with lately. But I think the other thing is seeing how they, seeing like the, how they collaborate their culture with like, when you go to protests and stuff like that, like I went to Pride when I was in Lima and seeing like the way that like their music and everything was kind of like intertwined into this celebration but also there was like political protests going on at the same time and it's just like i think it opens your mind to what activism looks like it opens your mind to what um blackness and queerness and what that means because sometimes it just means showing up and being you in the most authentic and outward way possible that can be within itself a protest that can be within itself an awakening thing so um i think it was very multidimensional. it brought a lot of joy it brought a lot of questioning and curiosity and, and brought a lot of um discouragement at the same time but it was a beautiful experience cool thank you for sharing and you know um so earlier in your in your life, I read some about you and you, you mentioned that you wanted to go to law school and you wanted to become a Supreme Court justice, you know, because you were highlighting, you know, the inequities within our criminal justice system, the racism, homophobia, uh, sexism, transphobia, all these these issues that we, we face here in America. Um, but then you also talk about when you go abroad. It, you get to experience an element of privilege, right? And it could be seductive, right? And I know when I was living in Korea, I felt somewhat above the law. 
Uh, my little brother, he was living in Australia and it was almost like this escape from the realities of being black in America, right? Mm-hmm. So my, my question to you is, how do you balance, you know, your personal freedom and liberation through traveling with your commitment to, to black America freedom and liberty as a whole? And, and can you achieve both? And how do you navigate that? Uh, you're asking the, you're asking the, the difficult questions. I think that's something literally that literally, I think a day ago I was thinking about, um, cause I think a lot of times, um, like I have a YouTube channel, people comment certain times like to be like, Oh, like, like almost like I'm a traitor. Like, Oh, like, well, you just left, like you just left all of us to suffer. You're off and having a great life. But I think that for me, what's coming up is that I think an instrumental part of if we want to see change in the U.S. is liberation. I think before we can try to liberate anything else, we need to liberate ourselves. And I think I'm definitely on a path of liberation of figuring out um, who I am, what it means to be me, how all my identities, like the intersectionality of all of that. So I think for me, it's it's the idea of I can't help nobody else until I help me. Mm-hmm. Like they tell you the first time when you get when you get on a when you get on a flight, put your mask on before you try to put it on someone else. And I feel like using that same analogy, I spent even as a young person, I spent a lot of time that I already feel in my body not breathing in the United States. So I need to put my mask on and breathe first before I can start figuring out how I'm going to put everyone else's mask on. And but also I think the pieces that. I, I question sometimes of this responsibility that the marginalized have to, we're the, we're, we have to fix it. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I think we have taken away sometimes the idea of like, black joy can just be, it doesn't always have to be radicalized. It doesn't always have to be, it's radical within itself because of how much it's t- we're told not to do it. But everything we do doesn't have to be a protest because we don't like, white people out here just existing, just, enjoying life or whatever. And that's never questioned. So it's like, why we put such a microscope on that as well? I think there's so many, I could talk about this forever, but. Well, I got a question. Why compare yourself to white people? Why do we Um, want what what they have? Do we want what they have? We don't. We don't because what they have is embedded in all these systems of oppression. I think it's, I sometimes remind, when I say that is because I think we have to sometimes have something tangible. Sometimes with my friends or whatever, they're like, oh, I don't know if I should apply to this or I should do this, or I don't know if I'm qualified enough. I'm like, embrace the audacity of a cishet white man. They have the audacity, like, you know, like I can do whatever I want, but like this is my world. And I, and I think it's not because you want to be like him because we don't want to create those same structures again. But I think the, the, the impetus is that to have that same level of, I belong here to have that same level of this is for me just as much as it is for everyone else, which I think is an instrumental part. Cool. Well said. Well said. And so what's next for you? You know, how do you see the next you've been about for an entire year? That's amazing. That's dope. What do you see for the next one to two years? What are there places you want to go? Do you do you still think you'll be abroad? Um. So as of right now, I'm thinking I'm going to stay in Mexico for a bit just because I'm trying to um, grow my like my business, grow my own business and grow my YouTube channel, all these different things. Um, But my goal is by middle of next year 
I do want to go back to Southeast Asia. Um, I've been in Latin America this whole time and I want to go back to Southeast Asia. Um, I think me and planning have had this weird relationship over this time because I feel like I'll plan stuff and then life will tell me something completely different. Uh-huh. Like if you would have told me I was going to be in Mexico a month and a week ago or whatever, I've been like, what? I'm not going to Mexico. And I could say that by every place I've gone. And so I kind of leave it up to wherever my intuition takes me is I think where my most aligned path is. So that's where I'm meant to be. So, but right now, me and his head, I'm going to be in Southeast Asia um, starting middle of next year. The thing that's beautiful about how I feel like when you do travel, you do learn to trust your intuition and your spirit, right? You like, Mm -hmm. I almost felt like you come more into tune with who you are because every day can be something different every day, especially when you're by yourself. It's like, what do you choose to do? How do you want to navigate this day? What goals do you have? Do you want to meet somebody? Do you want to sit by a river? Do you want to go read a book? Do you want to, you know, do you want to get drunk? Who knows? And it's like, (laughs) it's really coming in terms of like, who am I? Right. And sometimes I think when we get stuck in the rut of life, whether we're in school or a job, you know, we think we know who we are because we're going through life. But at the same time, so much of our life is framed and conditioned around these things that we do every day. It's like, well, what happened if you were no longer a part of that, if you didn't have that job, right? If you were no longer a member of this particular community or you didn't have this responsibility, like who are you? Who would you be? Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, traveling abroad really allows you to explore that for yourself and, and tap into that. Um, I have like one or two more questions. I know folks are going to be interested in, you said you have a business, you've been abroad for a year. Like, how do you make ends meet? How you, how you making it happen? <laughs> I always, I always, um, I don't dread this question because I feel like it's, it's important to be honest and whatever, but um, because I think the way I did things. So when I first left to move abroad, I'll be very transparent. When I left to move abroad, I set a number of how much like I am comfortable with moving abroad. It was $10,000. That money's gone. Since then I have freelance, done freelance work, social media management. I've taught English. I've done volunteering on things, different things like that. Um, and more, more recently, which I think is what I found myself doing is I actually created a GoFundMe because my YouTube, um, I've been doing that for over a year, which is monetized. So I do make some money, but any real YouTuber tell you don't make a lot of money on YouTube. So I started GoFundMe. So that has helped a little bit. And just more recently, I've been, um, my business is Amina's, Amina's Adventures. I just recently got the license at LLC, so that's exciting. Congratulations. Um, thank that's you. Dope. That's big. Um, it's just been trying to create content and trying to figure out, I think, it, this is where the, the two sides of like wanting to be like a big business owner, but also being 24 and not really knowing exactly what to do in the world. So it's like trying to figure out like, what is my calling? So um Honestly, it's been doing freelance work, doing YouTube, and also um, when I have to, well, it was only, (laughs) and also um, in that one instance, asking for help, asking for support from my community um, with creating the GoFundMe, which didn't solve everything, but it did help me get to the next step, which is sometimes all we need. Yeah. Sounds like you, you find ways to figure it out. And I think that's, that's, that's the mentality more than the money. I tell people. Right. And I always tell people that I'm like, the best thing you get from going abroad is you just learn how to figure it out. 
whether it's, you know, figuring out how to get from point A to point B and you don't speak the language and you don't know mm-hmm. what transportation looks like or going into a restaurant and they ain't got no pictures and you don't speak the language or whatever it is, but you <laughs> just learn how to figure it out and be at peace with not knowing and navigating mm-hmm. ambiguous situations and just knowing that ultimately you'll somehow figure it out. Um, and so that's beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. And my last question is quick question, rapid fire. What advice would you give to a, you know, a young person on who's listening, who identifies with you, who maybe shares some identity markers with you, who's a young college student, what advice would you have to them about traveling abroad? If you can study abroad, if you can't figure out what it is that, whatever, whatever it is in your head right now that scares you the most to do, that's the thing you should do because that's that intuition, that voice within you trying to get you onto your most aligned path. Follow that voice because it knows a lot more than you, than anything else in the world that's trying to tell you something. Right. You know. Say that again, Amina, about the fear. Say that piece one more time. That was a gym. Which part? <laughs> You said somebody, if something scares you. Oh, I would suggest whatever's in your head that scares you the most, that's what you need to do because that's what's going to lead to your most aligned path. Um, we live in a world that tells you to listen to everything, social media, breeding standards, the news, everything. That voice inside you, that intuition, that's your God. That will take you on your most aligned path. So do whatever scares the heck out of you and that will take you to amazing places. Uh, that is amazing, yo. Thank you so much for your time. Um, that was such a beautiful bar. I'm gonna just end it here. Um, but I know you, you, you know, you do have some platforms. Um, how could people find you, contact you, and or even maybe donate towards your GoFundMe campaign? Yeah, so my um Instagram is Aminas underscore adventures, A-M-I-N-A-H-S underscore adventures. Um, there in my bio, you can find all my links. And you can subscribe to my YouTube channel at Amina's Adventures um, on YouTube. Sounds good. So go ahead and follow Amina's Adventures. Uh, You'll learn about her experiences, her insights, and uh, just keep up with the amazing journey that you're having. So thank you so much for sharing your time, your story with us here on Black with Blue Passports. I'm confident that your story will motivate um, and inspire somebody, some young person to take that leap of faith and, and, you know, run a hundred miles in an hour through that fear that they have in their head, right? And, and ultimately align themselves with their bigger potential. Thank y'all for checking out another episode of Black with Blue Passwords with Javier Wallace and Dr. Devin Walker. Make sure y'all follow us and check us out on social media at DDCE Global, World Walker Foundation, Black Austin Tours, Afro-Latino Travel, and keep this conversation going. Hey, be safe, y'all, and we'll see y'all next time.